It is February. It is a month for friendship and relationships, and I am so excited that this episode is going to celebrate the month of February by having our first guest, and our first guest is my husband, Ryan McHugh. So Ryan is a professor and the chair of the Department of Communication and Media at the University of Northern Iowa, and he studies visual communication, rhetoric, and public deliberation as well as digital culture, and his research really focuses on this broad question of how do people use a variety of visual and multimedia technologies to access the public sphere and engage in deliberation and persuasion. We are going to be discussing the book The Molecule of More by Daniel Lieberman and Michael Long, and I'm going to let Ryan persuade you all about the role of dopamine and why understanding dopamine will help you set goals and plan a little bit better. Do you want to feel less scattered and more focused, but the idea of planning or goal setting sounds like adding more pressure to your already pressure-filled life? If that sounds like you, welcome to the Plan Goal Plan podcast. I'm Danielle McGue. I'm a professor, mom, and business owner. I started this podcast to help hardworking women and high-achieving mamas plan and set goals playfully and lightly. Unlike pressure-filled approaches, Plan Goal Plan centers on what delights you to help you envision all the possibilities your future holds. If you're ready to try easier, if you're ready to make memories and do meaningful work, grab a pen. I'm going to guide you through practices that will help you plan for clarity, set goals for direction, and act with purpose and delight. Let's get started. Hey, Ryan. Welcome to the Plan, Goal, Plan podcast. I'm so excited to have my husband, Ryan McGue, here with us today. This is a milestone. This is a milestone in our relationship. So, y'all, we have been working together our entire adult life, and I do not know if we have ever taught together. Have we ever taught together? I don't think so. Other than the little informal ones where where somebody comes up and has a question and then we just hop into lecture mode or something. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've presented at conferences together. We have co-authored together, but I'm not sure that we've ever taught together. And I've never gotten Ryan to come on a podcast with me before. So, y'all, I have another podcast. It's called Bachadamia, and it is me and my besties chatting about The Bachelor, and Ryan is a snob. And he's like, The Bachelor's trash. He might not be wrong about that, but our podcast about The Bachelor is wildly fun. So I lured him. I lured him in, and I have snagged him to be on Plan Go Plan podcast. And I'm super excited about it. So welcome, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. This is the podcast that I am happy to be on. (laughs) All right. So both of us are avid readers. We love to read and we love to read self-help, self-improvement sorts of books, but we do read kind of different genres. So I'm like Brene Brown and you're like neuroscience. So we thought that we would hop onto this podcast and share our love for books with you all. And today I am excited because we are talking about the book, The Molecule of More, How a Single Chemical in Your Brain Drives Love, Sex, and Creativity and Will Determine the Fate of the Human Race. This is written by Daniel Lieberman and Michael E. Long. Ryan, 
Let's talk about this book. Let's get in there. First of all, let's spoil everything for our listeners and let's tell them what is the molecule of more. The molecule of more is dopamine. Dopamine. Awesome. So what is dopamine and why did you pick up a book that's about dopamine? I feel like dopamine is, as sort of pop psychology goes, one of the things that lots of people have heard about. Even if you don't pay much attention to psychology or psychological research, I think most of us have at least heard of dopamine or are loosely familiar with this, have maybe gotten the impression that we live in a world that is, is queued up to, to give us dopamine drips all the time. Uh, and so the, the interesting payoff here is that Everything that you've heard about dopamine or much of, of what, how we talk about dopamine maybe isn't quite accurate. We think about dopamine as a thing that gives us pleasure. And the authors very quickly point out, actually, the thing that dopamine does is it encourages us, it stimulates us to maximize future resources. So it gives us pleasure by maximizing future resources. Uh, so instead of thinking about it as the thing that gives us pleasure or reward, what it really gives us is desire, desire mm -hmm. for more. So it, it motivates us to pursue pleasure, but really the payoff is the pursuit. And so I was particularly interested in this. I, I knew, I've always known that dopamine is a big part of ADHD. And so I've, I've dealt with ADHD my entire life. For, for many people, dopamine uh, having a lack of dopamine is what gives them ADHD. And I've never felt like I lacked that, right? Like I feel fairly ambitious. I'm very curious, but I am incredibly easily distracted. And so I was looking at this book to, to understand this thing that maybe contributes to or causes ADHD, but it was clear that there, there isn't a clear line between these things. I wanted to better understand it uh, and see if that could maybe help me as I deal with things, help me to achieve my goals, things like that. The interesting thing that the authors talk about is that the brain has other chemicals, um, including like serotonin, oxytocin, things that you might have heard of, that they refer to as here and now molecules. These are, are neurotransmitters, chemicals that make us feel happy and content in the current moment. And so the authors distinguish between people who have more dopamine as, as they call them, dopaminergic, and they tend to be more future-oriented, right? Dopamine is about the future. Serotonin and oxytocin are about the present. So once you have a thing, dopamine makes you want to go get things, resources, information, people, relationships, whatever. But once you have them, those things don't provide quite the same reward to you, right? So dopamine actually makes us less content. So if I'm like a geeked out planner, right, like I love planning, and we might think of planning as primarily a future-oriented activity, does that mean that I probably have high levels of dopamine? That in my dopa, what was that word? Dopaminergic. <laughs> <laughs> dopaminergic, yes. my You absolutely are, I think. Um, my guess is... I was actually sitting down and, and thinking about, like, what were things I wanted to talk about on here and, and what would my recommendations be? And the obvious, you know, one of them that I'll talk about is really reflecting on if you think you are a more dopaminergic person or a person who, who's more biased towards serotonin, oxytocin, kind of what they call here and now chemicals. 
And I thought about that, and it struck me that anybody who's listening to this is also probably more on the dopaminergic side. Like, if you took the time to seek out a podcast about planning and goal setting, you are inherently probably a person who has a, a future-oriented way of moving through the world. You may be more or less balanced, but yes, you are probably a dopaminergic person, and the kind of human who starts a goal-setting and planning podcast in addition to their full-time job is definitionally <laughs> a person. Absolutely, because I seek that novelty. I like to make things, so that makes sense. So what are some other things from the book that we should be aware of? Offer us a little bit of a summary here. Sure. Sure. So again, as we talked about, there's this kind of balancing systems that you have in your brain, right? The dopamine system. Uh, and then the, these, what they call the here and now chemicals, the serotonin, oxytocin stuff. And, and like the evolutionary value of dopamine makes plenty of sense. The, the wanting to seek out more, to, to always get more resources. Uh, you can imagine like our prehistoric ancestors, if some of them had lower amounts of dopamine, maybe they, they harvest crops or forage or finish a hunt and say, Hey, I, I have enough food to last me for weeks. So I'm going to sit back and relax and enjoy for a while. Uh, meanwhile, the more dopaminergic people like aren't content, and so they just keep hunting, keep foraging, keep doing whatever until they have way more than they're likely to need. Most of the time, that first group's probably going to be happier. Um, but every once in a while, when you have like an unusually long winter or a drought or something like that, you can imagine that the second group is actually much more likely to survive. That's interesting. So I am a big fan of the 10% Happier podcast with Dan Harris. And in that, one of his like big questions that I think he's been trying to work through is, can you be ambitious and content? And I think that this is a little cue into where maybe the chemicals in our brain are make create its own barrier to both being ambitious and content. Now, I will say, I think that you can be ambitious and content, but I think that it is a tough line to toggle, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they are, those are two things that I think these authors would say are determined by different brain systems and that, that actually work against one another. Uh, and so they talk about how people with higher amounts of serotonin or oxytocin are, are often happier, more content, more present in the current moment. They tend to be more socially connected and, and have more and, and maybe even more fulfilling relationships. But maybe, you know, they're, they're often more likely to, to have less of the motivation and ambition that dopamine provides. So it really is right at that intersection of things. And so, you know, a healthy amount of those here and now chemicals lets you be content sitting around a table with people that you love, enjoying the food, enjoying their company, and not like checking your phone a bunch of times or something. But too much of those has you like in your 30s living in your parents' basement, perfectly happy um, you know, with every single day, but maybe you know, not self-sufficient, not growing or pushing yourself in any kind of way. And so I think, yeah, we look at those folks and say, yeah, we need more balance. And maybe the same thing's true of dopamine too, right? If you're, if you're in a constant state of desire and, and craving and living in the future and, and you can only check the phone or think about work, that's not a real happy way to be either. So finding that balance of ambition and contentment where both of those systems are doing their part is kind of a sweet spot. 
I'm wondering if you can find contentment in sort of the mundane tasks that are required to achieve, like in ambitious pursuits, right? So like I'm thinking about, like, let's say, you know, we might think of authors of books, people that write books as ambitious people. Like it seems ambitious to sit down and write several hundred words of stuff. But the actual process of writing is pretty tedious, mundane. And I'm wondering if, you know, finding contentment in the mundacity of ambition <laughs> is like its own little thing. I don't know. I'm like processing. Can you be content with the process of ambition? And how does that work with your brain? And I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to that or the book answers that, but that becomes like a really interesting question for me. Absolutely. I don't know that they do answer it. We probably should do a different episode someday on flow, oh, yeah. uh, which certainly would tap into that a little bit. They do talk about, they use the term mastery, that there's something about dopamine that, that always pushes you towards mastery to just have really figured out a certain set of tasks or a, a certain process and to, to be constantly improving at it, which dopamine wants or makes you want rather. And so the idea that, that, as they talk about it, is once you hit that point, after that steady improvement at a thing, you know, being really here and now in the moment, working on a thing, but getting better at it, better at it, better at it, that that there is a certain joy in that that taps into both dopamine, that, that desire to steadily improve, and the serotonin uh, of of being engrossed in a particular moment. Um, and so for them, yeah, that actually is the kind of recommendation. I don't do much to tell you what that would look like, but they do talk about as if you can master tasks that there's a both a dopamine and a kind of serotonin pleasure to being in the moment doing something you're good at and, and improving at. It's interesting. I keep thinking about how people that maybe have similar dopaminergic, how the heck do you say that word? Dopamine, dopamine, people that have lots of dopamine, y'all, that's how I'm going <laughs> to say it. So people that have a lot of dopamine might be drawn to similar professions. And what I'm sort of thinking about is academics. So like working in higher education, most of the people that I work with on a daily basis have PhDs where you tend to be an ambitious group. And I'm wondering you know, like, what does it mean to try to work together if you are all people with similar levels of dopamine, right? And that, like, probably it's best if there's a mix of people. It would make sense to me that certain fields would uh, attract people with certain ambition levels. And then how do you work together? And that becomes, like, just a really fascinating way for me to think about things, too. Absolutely. Yeah, they talk about scientists uh, and inventors often being highly dopaminergic people, and that actually people that are particularly dopaminergic often struggle in interpersonal relationships to be community members. They are, they're willing to sacrifice relationships in pursuit of you know, whatever that current ambition is. They're more likely to treat people as ends rather, uh, or as, yeah, as means to an end rather than an end unto themselves. And so they don't, they struggle in community a little bit. So yeah, you can easily imagine that if you built an entire department out of people with this set of personality traits, 
you're going to have interesting interpersonal struggles and you probably really benefit from some people that understand community, that build connections for the sake of those connections. But there's a real payoff to that. And it's really interesting that then those like high dopamine folks have been sort of attributed with survival because I might also think about having interpersonal skills, having the ability to create and craft and maintain community as also really important survival skills. So that tension right there is also really interesting to me. Yeah, it seems like maybe dopamine is particularly valuable and being a, a dopaminergic type is particularly valuable in situations of scarcity, uh, in kind of new and novel situations where you have people that can really figure things out, figure out how to get all of the things that a community needs to secure resources, etc. But once things settle down, you need people that can actually build a stable community that isn't constantly fighting or splintering. It isn't all ambitious people who want more, but they're actually working to preserve the thing that they have. What else from the book do I need to know about dopamine and the desire for more? Well, one thing that I thought I I certainly didn't know at the start of this, um, that is maybe why we would want to talk about this for people that are interested in planning and goal setting, uh, is that the dopamine system actually operates in two distinct parts of the brain. It's a dopamine system, but there's two somewhat different systems in operating uh, in operation at the same time that can actually check one another. And so the authors call them the desire circuit and the control circuit. And so the desire circuit kind of wants, you know, they both want more, but the desire circuit wants more now, right? It's future oriented because it, it wants something that you don't currently have, but it wants immediate gratification. So it's, it's future oriented, but not very far into the future, so to speak. Um, and when you think about like extreme versions of this, uh, of somebody who's particularly dominated by this system, maybe you think about like drug addiction or other forms of addiction, uh, where they, they want something that they don't currently have, but they really want it right now and are willing to give up most other things to get that. The other circuit, the control circuit, also future-oriented, also wants more, but it's it's in the free prefrontal cortex. It's in the most um, sort of evolutionarily developed part of your brain. It's willing to be strategic, to delay gratification, to work long and hard to get those future rewards. So the extreme example here Imagine like an executive who owns a vacation home or something, right? They they have this this thing that, that many of us would say, oh, that'd be lovely to have, but they don't even go to it. Or when they do, they can't even be present in it because they're, they're sitting there checking their email or staring at their phone or ignoring their family in it the entire time. And so that's, that's somebody who's maybe more dominated by the control circuit where they're perfectly willing to delay gratification to the point that they never actually enjoy the benefits of the resources that they've gotten. So I thought that was sort of an interesting thing to think about and to for us to maybe reflect on which of those two speaks more prominently to each of us. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is that they talk about the things that actually sort of cue up our dopamine systems to activate. One is novelty uh, and the other is value. So novelty, new New stimuli of any sort, things that are new are immediate dopamine prompts, right? When you come across a thing that is new, you want to know more about that. That might be something as simple as like you see a, 
a new item on a menu or a new restaurant in town, and that immediately becomes more interesting to you than other restaurants in town or other food at that restaurant. It, it can also happen that way in relationships. I think everybody knows somebody that, like, as soon as they're in a relationship, they're they're interested in the next person, right? So that that sort of novelty thing it cues up our dopamine systems, and then again, the other is value. So things that we perceive to be really valuable resources tend to immediately elicit a dopamine response. What was interesting there is it's it's value to you, not necessarily value to like your community or things like that. But when you see something you're like, oh, I would really benefit from that, your the dopamine system sort of spark up right away. Hmm. That right away makes me think too about the relationship between culture and dopamine. So like would I look at collectivist cultures and see different things triggering that value, dopamine hit, that what is of personal value is what is community value, because culturally, that separation between the individual and the collective, I don't know, just kind of thinking there about how, you know, how culture might impact the way that people perceive value, and therefore, how people might experience dopamine. Absolutely. And, and one thing that's interesting there, and, and I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. I'd like some more information about this, but in the book, they actually talk about um, the, the percentage of people with like a specific gene that, that's really uh, dopamine receptive, right? So it's really about activating dopamine uh, systems and, and dopamine receptors more than it is like the sheer amount of dopamine a person has. But they talk about um, the way that, that, immigration works and and different countries what percentage of people are are have this gene that makes you highly dopaminergic uh, and and i think their argument and again I'm, I'm always skeptical when people make these kinds of claims but their argument is that the united states has an incredibly high percentage of high dopamine people or people with high levels of dopamine and that as a result you you it's not surprising that like a huge chunk of patents and inventions and things are created in this country, um, often by immigrants to this country who are also highly dopaminergic person. They have all these studies for this. Um, and that more collectivist cultures are actually less dopaminergic. Uh, a lower percentage of people have uh, are, are as dopaminergic. And so they are more likely to, again, be about preserving the community, appreciating and supporting neighbors or, or making decisions that prioritize rewards for the community rather than rewards for themselves. Again, I, I don't know how accurate that is and, and it's big generalities, but nevertheless, they, they seem pretty committed to the idea that m more dopaminergic societies are more individualistic societies. Uh, and that you can understand a lot about politics and things like that by looking at people's dopamine levels. That's fascinating. So I'm already starting to think about some ways that I can take what I'm learning about dopamine and apply it to planning and goal setting. Were there specific actions um, recommended by the author or having read the book and thought about this, are there certain recommendations that you would make that would help them take the knowledge that we've gained about dopamine from the book on um, the molecule of more. And, you know, like what, what should we do with this knowledge? Yeah. They spend a lot of the book talking about uh, the relationship of dopamine and genetics. 
and so they say you have some agency in this, uh, but maybe the part of the book that I I was really hoping would give lots of concrete, actionable steps was the part I found perhaps the least fulfilling. So their recommendations, and I don't think they're bad ones, I just wish there was more, were take many breaks in nature, right? So being out around nature is, is really good for, for dopamine systems and for appreciating, uh, you know, for being present as well. So nature, taking those breaks, say to refrain from multitasking, which I think is kind of common wisdom these days that bouncing around is, is not at all helpful in this way. They, they say to spend time fixing things. And so here they, I mean, they talk about like woodworking or cleaning your house or things of that sort. And to, I mean, it goes back to that discussion of mastery. To engage in tasks that you are good at, that you can improve at, but that you can like see the benefits, see yourself getting good at those things that maybe aren't just your career, but to in your home to find ways to engage in tasks that um, are sort of manual labor of sorts that you can see yourself improving at. And they say that there's there's something that that does to the brain in terms of, of dopamine, but also being present in a moment um, that is helpful. Again, I wish they would have given us more there. I do think that there's probably some other inferences that you can draw from from this content, from what we've learned here. Uh, maybe the biggest recommendation I would make out of this is to take this knowledge of of the kind of the dopamine system uh, versus the sort of serotonin oxytocin systems and actively reflect on your own experiences of this. So as I said, my guess is most people who would listen to a podcast on goal setting are more dopaminergic than average. Um, but still, taking a moment to to sort of reflect on, okay, which sorts of, of things seem to motivate me? Where do I gain pleasure? What sorts of tasks are motivating to me? Uh, and then take that the next step and reflect on how I'd mentioned there's these two dopamine systems, the control system and the reward system. If you are someone who craves more immediate rewards, I think it probably makes sense when you do have bigger tasks where maybe the, the reward is harder to see further down the road to be really intentional about breaking those into smaller, shorter term, more manageable tasks where you can get the sort of dopamine fulfillment uh, or dopamine hit of completing that one task. Again, it's it's gone almost as soon as it arrives. But to have those things, you say, OK, I have a manageable task in front of me. The reward for completing this is 20 minutes away or a day away rather than six months away, right? So we are hopefully finishing a, a book project here soon, and, and I'm the, the one that's kind of lagging behind on this a little bit. Um, and I do think part of it is, you know, this is book number three, and to sit down with a project that large is really daunting. But to sit down and say, you know what, today I'm going to write 500 words. That's a little bit more manageable, right? So if, if you are somebody that that's, um, needs those rewards, to break big tasks into smaller tasks that provide them is kind of a simple way of you know, you're doing roughly the same thing, but you're doing it in a way that has your dopamine system working for you rather than against you. Just thinking, so there's several resources, I think, on plangoalplan.etsy.com. There's the 2023 goal setting workbook. And one of the very first things that it has you do is it has you think about what motivates you. And so thinking through that, writing down what is it that motivates me, there's a section on what delights you and what are some of your favorites. 
And then when you do sit down and set your goals, you're supposed to think about what are some motivators and rewards that you can use along the way and go back to those worksheets and put those in with your goals. And so I'm like thinking about tools that we have that are already there that help us tap into these systems that you're talking about. Absolutely. And, and yeah, the other thing that I'd add to that maybe is that if you're somebody that is more dominated by that control system, the, the sort of longer term strategic delayed gratification form of the dopamine system. Um, but, but then maybe when you get those future rewards or somebody who, who struggles with actually enjoying them, I'd say first off, like recognize that a lot of that is genetic and chemical rather than some sort of personal failing or, or some sign that those aren't things that can bring you joy. Um, so just sort of recognizing that and being really intentional in how you respond in those moments where maybe you are hopefully enjoying the benefits of all of your work, right? So really focus on being present, being in the current moment putting those things that, that provide distractions or that pull you out of a moment away. So they talk a lot about phones, right? You can imagine that phones are like the ultimate immediate reward in your pocket kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that your, your phone can provide you all sorts of, of dopamine-related stimuli through social media, through the ability of, of you to access work and work to access you 24 hours a day. And so trying to figure out how you engage with technology in a way that maybe change change that so that you can be more present in the current moments um, and, and without the kind of constant and active temptation of, of hopping onto the Internet at all times. Right. And so I recently just recorded an episode that you all have access to on the Daily Top 3. It's called You Vote With Your Time, How to Use Your Daily Top 3 to Set Your Priorities or live your priorities, or something like that. One of the reasons I love the practice of having a planning practice is that if you know what you're supposed to be working on next, it is a lot easier to just look at that thing and start working. And that a lot of times it is these moments of transition from one task to the next that we pull out our little dopamine drip devices, which are our phones, and we get lost in them. And so if you have a system in place that lets you know what you're supposed to work on next, so that you don't reach for your phone to get that dopamine drip. You can, I think, just transition and sort of stay focused. And then I also think that having a practice of planning where you are reflecting on like what works, what's important to me, and you have built into the practice of planning your ritual of thinking about what is important to you. I also think that that is a way to trigger that value part that you were talking about. So how do you create a practice of regularly naming what it is that you value? Because then I think you'll understand the importance of things. And that seems really important with what we're learning about our brains as well. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. I also now feel like we should do a different episode on technology, like social media, all, all things phone related. Um, that's kind of closer to where I do research. And, and I would... You know, I'd point out that slot machines actually make more money in this country every year than Major League Baseball. And there are entire like graduate school programs designed to help people build apps that tap into the exact same psychological phenomena that makes slot machines addictive. And so you are probably carrying around an entire cadre of addictive apps and stimuli in your pocket at all times. 
Uh, and so, yeah, we should talk about that more, but it is kind of helpful and freeing in a moment to just say, oh, well, yeah, I have a, I'm carrying a device that is designed to hack my dopamine system and keep me engaged with it rather than, than present in the moment with, you know, with family, in your home, with, you know, I don't know, friends, pets, whatever. Um, all the things that you would say are important if we asked you what's important to you. And instead you spend your time dealing with this other thing, not because the things that you say are important aren't important, but because these devices hack into your dopamine systems and take advantage. And so recognizing that is maybe the first step in being a little more intentional in how you spend your time. Great. Yeah. And I would love to continue our conversation about dopamine and our devices and dopamine. Before we kind of finish up today, are there any other takeaways, any other things that you want to make sure that we know about dopamine, about the book, Molecule of More, um, and how that relates to planning and goal setting? I think that hit on all the big things that I wanted to talk about. I think, you know, by way of recap, that maybe the things that are important to take away from this that, that aren't necessarily intuitive is that dopamine isn't just about pleasure. It's about sort of future-oriented pursuit. It's about more. Um, and so dopamine gives you motivation, uh, gives you ambition, things of that sort. But by design, it also keeps you wanting and it keeps you not content. And so understanding how that system works, understanding that there's, there's the part of that system that wants immediate rewards versus the part that's willing to delay all gratification in pursuit of, of future rewards uh, and taking that time to reflect on you know, which, which parts are more prominent in your own makeup and in, in how you've built your own life. Um, that, that can be a really interesting uh, and important start to having more control over how you spend your time to make sure that when you receive those rewards, when you have those moments to enjoy what you do have, um, that, that you can be more present for those. You can be happy and content in those moments without losing the ambition and drive as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is super fun. I'm glad that we finally sat down and recorded a podcast together. And for those of you listening, I hope that this experience was as fulfilling for you as it was for us. I hope that you have learned a little bit about this uh, molecule of more, this dopamine drips that you get um, all day long, and that really hope that you have a week full of reflection about your own experiences with dopamine, that you might have the ability to think through how you embrace and balance ambition and contentment, and that you might be able to find ways to embrace novelty and value in your goal setting and your planning so that you might be able to be present and enjoy uh, the people that you love and not always just seeking more, more, more. If this podcast has inspired you, guided you, or just made you laugh, the number one way that you can thank me is by leaving a written review for the show over on Apple Podcast. I'm seriously tickled every time that I hear from you all, so pop onto Instagram and follow Plan Go Plan and digital message me. I want to say hello. I want to geek out about all things planning and goal setting. Keep sensing the possibilities, y'all.